In the mid-70s, Tracy Africa Norman was discovered at a casting for Italian Vogue, and from there, her modeling career just skyrocketed. She even appeared, now famously, as the face on a box of Clairol hair dye. This was one of their best-selling colors, and it was sold in drugstores across the U.S. On that box, under her picture, and I think this is amazing, under her picture were the words, Born Beautiful. There are so many messages in our world telling us that trans people are not beautiful. And yet, here is an example from recent history in direct opposition to that. It is Tracy's face, and then the words, Born Beautiful, there in all caps. It gives me chills to think about. Now, the other part of Tracy's story which is famous is that while her career was in the middle of this formidable rise, she was on a shoot for Essence magazine and she was outed. Her career completely stopped after that. I've always heard this story talked about, and when we tell it, we tend to stop at the outing. She's outed and that's it. So I wanted to talk to her about this whole experience, but also what happened next. Where does somebody go from there? And then before we get started, just to let you know what's going on scheduling-wise, we were supposed to release our interview with the great Olympic diver Greg Leganis today, but due to me being under the weather last week, that has messed up our schedule since really I am a one-man band. So you will be hearing from Greg in the near future, and until then, I thought this interview with Tracy that we recorded in December of 2020 was the perfect one to share with you as part of our Elders project. So let's hear it. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ and A with the legendary model Tracy Africa Norman. Something that I think is so interesting and special about your story is the number of times throughout history that someone has been outed and lost everything, and we don't know their name. History doesn't remember them. Are you surprised by how well-known your story is and has become? Yeah, from the very beginning, I've been shocked about it and the interest that has grown to wanting to know my story. In the beginning, it's been overwhelming, but I'm kind of um, not getting used to it, but it still surprises me. I mean, I have a long list of reasons for why I think your story is special and why we're still telling it. But I just wonder, how do you think about your impact and why it matters? I think because of um, a lot of the girls like me are now in front of the cameras, like on television and writing, singing and modeling. And they've all congratulated me by being the first. But to be clear, I never identified with transgender, the term. I've always identified as being a woman. Oh, I see. Yeah, so, but I, I mean, I understand the reasons why they are advertising that they're transgender. Um, in my generation, I couldn't. Oh, so you're saying that back then you could not use the word, but um, you're not saying that you don't identify as trans now. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I, do, I still don't identify as trans. I always identified as uh, being a woman. Oh, I see. It was New York Mag and um, the London Times and Mary Claire of South Africa um, that put the word trans and, and attached it to my name. I, I mean, 
I understood the publicity for it and the interest that it that it drummed up, but I made that very clear in every interview that I never identified as trans. But as far as getting interest that it drummed up, I totally get that. Oh, wow. Because I consider you an icon in trans history. And so I've actually never heard that you don't identify um, as being a part of the trans community. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. So, I mean, I don't have the people using it. I'm just saying me personally, I've never identified with the word trans or or being trans. Yeah. I guess because of the time difference and and I didn't grow up around gay people. I only had women around me. So being a shy child, I mimicked myself after uh, women. I watched how they talk, converse with each other, how they walk, how they sat. You know, I was just enthralled with the femininity of, of, of a woman. And that's what I wanted to be. Oh, I see. So when you were outed, I believe it was, was it 1980, 1979? Yeah, it was in that time for Essence Magazine. Right, so you were outed in your professional life. So then I guess that also transferred over into your personal life as well? My, in my professional life, it did. In my personal life, not per se, because um, not, my mother was always there. I've been her, her oldest daughter since I was born, but she always knew that she had a special child. She would mind, remind me of that. In fact, our conversations would either be in the car or we're walking the dog together or sitting at the dinner table and, you know, laughing and joking. She would just stop and periodically tell me her words would be, Tracy, you were born before your time. And all of those years, I never understood what that meant until until I was reached out for my story and when Clairol signed me to another three-year contract. Then I realized what my mother meant by that because by that time, the other trans girls were out in themselves. And the reason why is because that prevented anybody to have a secret hanging over their head, which I did. So that gave someone power over me. Oh, so at that time when you were modeling, it sounds like your assumption was that you would never disclose to anyone about your history. No. No, I never disclosed that with anyone except the people in New Jersey when I started modeling. I mean, obviously they knew because some of them I knew since grammar school and they were in the fashion, hair and uh, design and photography business. So when I stepped away from that and came back as Tracy, um, they took me under their wings and started teaching me how to model. They thought that I was pretty enough to be a model. So they started training me. And so they knew, and then people that were coming to the local fashion shows, I guess all you need is one mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And then the entire city winds up knowing. I mean, your gender aside, there were incredibly few Black models working at that time. Yes. Were you often the only Black woman in these spaces? Um, when I went up for certain jobs, no. Of course, when there was a call for Black models, then all of those girls would show up and I wind up getting the job. 
But I was when I was discovered by Mr. Irving Penn, he called Zoli Management and told Zoli that he had a young Beverly Johnson standing in front of him. And that's how they promoted me. That must have made you feel pretty great. Yeah, I was an honor. But in my head, my world was still turning. <laughs> this was all new to me. I knew nothing about the, fashion, the professional side of fashion business. So I didn't realize even at the time when I met Mr. Penn, how legendary his legendary status was. Oh, that's so funny that you're like living every girl's dream and having no idea who you're talking to. <laughs> when I got discovered by him, I had no clue in who he was or his status as, as I didn't even know that when who was interviewing me that he was a photographer. Later on, I found out that it was the editor for Italian Vogue. It was the designer himself. When I entered the room, I just entered the room, <laughs> not knowing what was going to happen. And so a few short years later, you're suddenly the face of the Clairol box in stores across the country. It was your face and it says, born beautiful. What was your reaction when you first saw that? Well, that was the campaign that Clairol came up with for women of color to be on their hair color box because they wanted a piece of the um, African-American market. So they developed these colors specifically for black women. And um, they decided to call it Born Beautiful. And it has been in every drugstore across America. And one day my mom and I went into the drugstore to pick up, you know, our beauty items, bath items, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I just happened to walk down the aisle. I didn't know when the box was going to be released. I didn't have any idea when that was happening. And there I was. And I just, my mother was in another aisle and I went searching for her and grabbed her and called and said, Mommy, Mommy, you got to come look, look, look. Yeah, it was an incredible moment for the both of us. She was really proud. I was proud and, and, and overwhelmed with joy. And she was proud and overwhelmed with her baby. And, so we bought a couple of boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have them? I don't have the original one because they're doing that transition after I got um, outed. I held on to my apartment because I had lived on 70th and Western Avenue. That was my very first apartment. I tried to keep it as long as I could with the savings that I had. So me and my dog had to pack up and leave and go back to my mom's house. Then going out on my own, I guess when you're sleeping on everybody's sofa, that you don't have a place of your own, so they consider it homeless. I mean, when we tell your story about your career being taken away from you after you were outed, mm -hmm. we, we, we kind of leave the story there. I'd always wondered, you know, what happened after? Like, how did you even support yourself? Well, um, I didn't. My mother supported me. She supported me until a girlfriend of mine, we all started together. Her name was Sherry, and she was a beautiful, exotic, tall female with cat eyes, cat green eyes, and reddish blonde hair, African-American girl. And um, she said that she was going to Paris for work. Did I want to come? 
So I was like, yeah, but then I needed a passport. So my mother gave me my sister's birth certificate to get a passport because I certainly couldn't use mine. With that, we both went out to the airport and got a standby ticket on TWA. We had to go out there uh, every night around 12 o'clock to see if anybody canceled. So we had to go out there 12 midnight every night for three nights. And finally, people had canceled. And we were able to get on on the flight. Wow. Those are one-way tickets, mind you, with no funds to get back. And between the two of us, we may have had like 100 or $150 between the two of us. Wow. But we were young. And you know when you're young, you have no fear. There's no way in the world I would do that today. <laughs> but, I, you know, a lot of things that you do when you're young, you would not do today. So, you know... You have no fear. You just, it's an adventure. You, you, you go and we found a hotel room and, and um, tried to get some work. And back then without the internet, I mean, did your story follow you over the seas? It could have had I did the circuit working for major designers, but I didn't have an agent and um, I locked up and got a job working in the house of Balenciaga, being a, a showroom model wow. for about six months for the winter collection. So it was about, it was like five girls. I was the only black girl. The others were French, white girls. I mean, soon after you were outed, Caroline Cossey, another model who was in a James Bond film, she was outed as being transgender. That was in 1981. Do you remember seeing that at that time? I don't remember seeing that, but later on it was brought to my attention, yes, but not at the time. Oh, I see. Because in her example, I brought it up because she continued to work. And I was wondering if that had given you hope that maybe the same could be true for you. No, but there's a difference in skin color. It's like today. I'm not seeing anyone of color do the things that I have done and sign contracts. It's only been my white counterparts who are working, who are doing the shows, who are on the covers of major magazines. Oh, in terms of modeling, it's primarily... Yes, in terms of modeling. That's so interesting that on the other side of things, when it comes to TV world and film, it's, you know, people like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock are the two like most visible trans people working today. Yes. And even I have to give thanks to both of them because in an interview... They mentioned my name, and that's how interest of my story was circulating through the internet, and that's how it all started, through that a conversation that they were having. It's so nice to have these like positive things to talk about, because for so long, your story was defined in the public's mind from this traumatic thing. Is that hard to be known for something that is you know, so hard? I have learned over the years that anybody of color who are a trailblazer, and I fall into that category, are the ones that pay the price for other people to benefit from or to continue the fight. Wow. When did you start to like realize and accept that? I started realizing that after Martin Luther King, they assassinated him. He was a trailblazer. There are other people that were trailblazers in the art who were blacklisted, like Nina Simone, you know, that were trailblazers in their craft and got destroyed because of their skin color and their beliefs and, and whatever. 
but they were all trailblazers and they left the door for somebody to follow through. You know, the person who outed you was a part of the LGBTQ community. Did that add to the hurt? Yes, because first of all, you need to understand in the 70s and in the African-American community, Black gay men did not appreciate the talent and the beauty that women like me possessed. And so there was a stigma against us because we were either all on drugs and working as prostitutes. So there was a level that they kept us at, which was on the bottom. And this person or persons were interested because they knew people from New Jersey. The one that outed me lived in East Orange, New Jersey. Oh, I see. So I guess the curiosity of me coming from New Jersey and they denied knowing me, but somebody in that group or outside that group knew. And there seemed to have been some underhanded kind of conspiracy going on. And it was just so weird how it all happened. I got booked and I'm on a set shooting in front of the camera and he comes in. So he had to call Essence, so he was that determined. So he had to call Essence because he wasn't booked to be there. There was no hairdresser on the job because they had box braided my hair and beat it every single braid. Wow. So he had to call Essence Magazine to find out where Susan Taylor was, the editor, and who she was shooting with. And he came on the set. That's how determined they were to come on the set. And that's the day my career ended. Because the next day I called my agency, there was nothing. And because he was gay, did that shape your relationship with the queer community? Well, yeah, the gay community, um, I just kind of, well, it was both. It was the Black community also. So, you know, because Susan Taylor was part of the Black community. So I was no longer beautiful to her. She kept telling me how beautiful I was and, you know, and hoping my career would go a long way, et cetera. But suddenly I'm no longer beautiful and no longer worthy of being in front of the camera. So the black community outed me and also the gay community outed me and it forced me to be a loner. Do you still feel like that today? Yeah, I don't trust. It's hard for me to, to trust. Throughout my life, I never felt as though I fitted in in any particular group of friends for some odd reason. I just never felt that I fitted in. So I had the tendency to become a loner. And because of my Black race, gay and straight, I, I have a tendency to, to just, you know, stay away. Does that feeling add to why you, part of the reason why you don't take the label transgender? No, it's just something that was inside of me. I say it's a part of my DNA. It was just how I was feeling about me and who I was and who I identified with. And I identified with women because I didn't grow up around, you know, the gay community for someone to to teach me. So with that, my speech, 
the way I conduct myself in, in public situations. I never learned the gay slang. As far as being trans or gay or however what category, you know, that people want to put you in, whatever box people want to put you in, I just didn't fit. I guess I'm wondering, you know, when we when we put out this interview, I, you know, originally was going to say, you know, this is an elder in the trans community, but I don't want to use that word if, you know, if you don't, you don't use that word. Is, is the best way to describe you just, can we say you're part of the LGBTQ community? Is that okay? That would be fine. I mean, you, look, I'm under the understanding and I know the interest of being a part of the community and how the new terminology is set up. I don't have a problem with that. You're saying with with the word trans? Yeah. I mean, if that's how you address it, I, I don't have a problem with that because that's it's all set up now, you know, especially with the terminology of being gay. Oh, I see. I just didn't want to uh, assign a label to you that you did not like. No. Okay. It's fine. I'm used to it now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have one more question for you. I called you an elder in the community. I don't know if you even consider yourself an elder, but how does it feel to like be called that? Oh, come on now. I'm 68 years old. I'm proud to have lived this long and still being, you know, still being relevant. So it it's fine with me. Well, this was a blast to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you for even thinking of me because I'm always surprised when my name come across someone's desk and they get interested. I mean, I hear your name spoken about all the time amongst the community. So I'm so happy to be able to tell you that. See, that right there, what you just said, amazes me. Really? <laughs> it, it amazes me that people are still having a conversation about Tracy Africa. <laughs> it really does. It just amazes me. Oh. Well, thank you so much for this. No problem at all. And I'm so glad that you reached out. Stay safe. And that was Tracy Africa Norman. As always, if you enjoyed the interview, please leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and help us spread the word with a tweet, a Facebook post, an Insta story. Doing things like that is the number one way you can help our show continue to grow. We did a big listener survey a couple months ago, and the number one thing that I learned is that the majority of listeners discovered our show through personal recommendation. So if you've done that, thank you so much. And if you haven't, hey, it is the perfect time to start. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. I'm Jeffrey Masters on Twitter and Instagram at JeffMasters1. I'll see you next week. Bye.